which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles this morning to uh, one of Paul's letters, Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. It, it contains part of that is going to be one of the most familiar verses that we have, um, mostly because we misquote that verse so oftentimes when we talk about that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. About 99% of the times that I hear that uh, stated and said, it's used inappropriately, kind of in a way that really doesn't jive with what the scriptural basis was. So we want to kind of come back to that this morning and uh, see what Paul was really talking about and, and what is that hope and what is that application for our life. Philippians chapter 4. And this is a continuance of really the Joseph series. I realize that that's not Genesis. But what we've done the last four weeks after we finished up our series in Genesis 37 through 50 is we've taken this theological concept of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. And what we've tried to do is say, okay, what does that mean in real life? Even when we're looking about divine appointments. We were saying, you know, that if you're working beside Joe and, and Ellen, that it's, it's not by happenstance. If you're a teacher, that there's kids that are on your own. That's not just because that's what the county or the city decided to do. That one of the applications of the sovereignty of God is that there really is an order. There's a plan. Now, we can go against that plan and we can be living in, in union with that plan. But God does have truly a plan for our life. Now, I know that we've probably heard that from an evangelist before. God has a plan for your life. Billy Graham would say that a lot. And and there's truth in that. Certainly not making light or making fun of that. But it's more than just, okay, God wants you to be saved. That is, ultimately, it says that he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to know him. So we know that God desires to have fellowship and relationship with us. And yet, when we take one of those deep theological concepts like the providence or the sovereignty of God. What that means to a follower of Christ on a daily basis is is just a a multitude of things. And one of those things is that we can be content even when we find ourselves in challenging situations. If you've been around Cornerstone for the last uh, three years since I've been here, I've probably preached on contentment probably two or three different times. Because it comes up a lot in the scripture. Because it's one of the challenges that we have. How many of you could really absolutely, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but could say, you know, I just find myself being content all the time. No, most of the time it is a battle that we're trying to discover contentment. It's it's one of those things that seems elusive. And one of the reasons that it it seems so elusive to us is that contentment in one aspect is a moving target. Now, we sing some old songs to begin with this morning. So let me ask you an old, uh, something that really may take some of you back. How many of you have ever chased a chicken on a farm before? I've got quite a few. Uh, are they elusive? Yeah, especially if, you're, if that's Sunday dinner and they know that they're Sunday dinner. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's quite elusive. Why? Because the chicken's there and the moment that you go there, what happens? He tries to elude you. He goes somewhere else. And sometimes, guys, contentment is like chasing chickens. And really, we think, okay, man, it's going to be this, that new thing, or this new relationship, or the new job, or the new house, or whatever. And we go for it, and then we find a move, that contentment move. Oh, we got the house, we got the job, we got the new life, or whatever it was. And yet, contentment kind of moved. 
And all of a sudden we found out that it wasn't just in possessions. Well, this morning we open up to a, a section that Paul uses a strange term when he talks about contentment. He, he talks about the secret of contentment. The secret. Now, at first I kind of struggle with that because... You know, I don't think God is really a secretive God. He's actually a God who very much tells us everything. He's a God who has shown himself through his word, through his spirit, through other things that God has done through his creation. So God is one who's not hiding and saying, okay, try to find me. No, he's actually the one who's pursuing us as we just kind of sang about this morning. God's nature is one of showing himself, not one of hiding himself. So why would Paul say, okay, you want to know about contentment? I've learned the secret of contentment. It's kind of a strange word. We're going to look into why did he use that. The, the word in the Greek, actually this is how you can know a Greek word. It's M-Y, our transliteration is M-Y-E-O with kind of this little symbol over there. But here's the, the way that you say that Greek word, meow. It's one of the few Greek words that you're going, and once you learn, okay, you know, God's mystery that he's revealed, this, this treasure that he's revealed, this secret, it, the Greek word is meow. So next time that, you know, you're sitting there going, and God just shows you something in his word, go, meow. You know, just go, you know, God, you just showed me something that was kind of hidden or something secretive before. Well, we like secrets. Why is it that we like secrets? You know, uh, whether it's a secret recipe or a secret plan or secret tips, it's because in secrets there's a form of power. There's something, when you have knowledge that other people don't have, there's a form of power. The other day, and I did not get to see this, but I saw it on the Internet afterwards. Did you know that there's a way that you can actually go back? How many of you have ever texted, you messed up, and your finger is too big to kind of get in between the E and the I or something like that? And so you had to erase the whole word. Did you know that there's actually a way that you can use the space bar to go back in a word? And it goes... That was revealed to me. That was a secret up until the other day. And it almost crashed the Internet. It's one of those things. I was going to bring up my messages, but I can make sure that it wasn't a private one. Okay. So if you, if you did, and, you know, you, usually if you want to correct something, you'd put your finger on it. Well, if you go down to the space bar on the bottom, you can touch it right there and start going back, and it will go letter by letter by letter by letter. Now, let me hear that again. Mm. Yeah. There you go. I knew that would come from Haney. I knew that it would. But I also see Tristan trying it out right now. So it's like, wow. So here's the thing. If you don't learn anything else in church this morning, you're going to, hey, man, here's what I learned in church this morning. Did you know that you can go back and use the space bar to, to go backwards? Secrets. We like the power. The other thing, reason why we like secrets a lot is, is because it's intimacy. You're on the inside instead of the outside. Have you ever been on the outside of a secret? I mean, one that you really started to feel that strain that everybody else knew. It wasn't maybe a good secret. Maybe it was a secret in the office setting. And all of a sudden you feel like you're on the outside of that secret. Secrets, it's kind of funny that he would, or not funny, it's strange that he would use that word secret to describe what he's going to teach us this morning about, you know, contentment. Because you would think that God just would want everybody to know. But he's not using the word secret in that kind of way that we would do it. He's not trying to keep anybody on the outside. What he's saying is, as he uses that term, he says, I want you to be able to be on the inside so that you can really understand that God desires for you to have contentment in your life. 
Not because you were able to catch the chicken. Not because you were able to pinpoint one thing and put your hands on it. No, because he wants you to have that in any and all circumstances. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. This is Apostle Paul writing. He's writing a letter to a, the church in Philippi, the Philippians. And, and he says this, I know how to be brought low. I know how to bound. I know in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of placing, uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and, and need. He said, I, I've learned how to be able to be content no matter where I find myself in life. And that's the part that really kind of gets me is how can you be content? Is it even possible for us in humanity to be content no matter what? Certainly, if good things happen to you, if you're planning a picnic and it's sunny, 68 degrees, 72 degrees, perfect weather, not a cloud in the sky, and you have a, a big picnic, you're going, man, I, I'm content with this. But what if it's raining on the day of your parade? See, the contentment, we know what it tastes like. We know what it feels like. There's been moments in our lives that we can say, hey, for this moment, for five minutes, for ten minutes, for a day, for a week, that I I found myself content. But trying to find contentment in any and all circumstances, that's kind of the challenge. Because like the chicken, contentment seems to really move fast. The minute that we pursue one way, it moves out of the way. Uh, a little bit of background because we always want to keep Scripture in context. We don't want to pick, pick one verse or a couple of verses out and not know what's really going on because then we can mess up its real meaning. So what's going on is Paul is in prison, which adds a lot of perspective when he talks about being content. This isn't a guy who's doing a, a, uh, his term paper on contentment, and he's doing a case study that involves all of us, and yet he's in a nice, comfortable place. No, Paul is in prison. Paul, by this time, most of us would agree, when we study the scriptures and and line everything up, that by this point, Paul also knows that his head is going to be taken off because of the the, the Roman emperor at that time is going to kill him. So not only is he in prison, does he know for the most part that his ministry, as far as what he used to know his ministry, going from church to church, going from place to place, is over, Uh, He's already said, if you go back to Acts, in a lot of places, he's already said goodbye to a lot of his relationships in the sense that he said, I won't see you again. I know this is the last time that I will see you. So this is not the setting that most of us would kind of consider that Paul can say, hey, I know what it is to be content. If anything, we would look at those circumstances and say, this is kind of a reason to be discontent. You're in prison. You know you're going to die. And yet he was able to say, I know what it's like to do, to have very little, to have a whole bunch. I I know what it's like to to experience the highs and lows of life. And yet I found the secret of being content. Look at verse 11. Uh, They brought an offering to to Paul. Uh, Down in verse 18, it talks about the guy who delivered it. And it took a long time for that offering to get to Paul. And uh, so he's not complaining here, but look what he says in verse 11. He says, not that I am uh, speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. They were bringing an offering, and he was saying thank you for this offering, but it did take them, maybe he expected it in a week or a month, and we'll say that it takes six months to get there. 
Have you ever had that where you expected God to do something in a certain amount of time? And then God didn't do it in that certain amount of time? And you found yourself not so content. Well, Paul is saying here, thank you for this offering. It took you a long time to get here, and he's not complaining. He's just saying, I realize there's, you know, it's hard to get that offering here, but I want you to know that, guys, whether it had taken a month or taken six months or whatever, it would have never gotten here. God has taught me to be content with my situation. The minute I read that, guys, God has my interest. Because I don't have that in my life. I don't have where it's just automatic that no matter where you find yourself at the end of the day or the beginning of the morning, that you can say, I'm just, I'm content. I'm still learning that discipline in my life. Maybe you're still learning that discipline in your life. As long as you can pinpoint and things are kind of happening to your schedule and your time frame and happening in the way that you want, you can say, kind of, I'm content. But Paul gets my attention. God gets my attention when he says, look, I've learned that whether it was here, not here, whether it arrived early or arrived late, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content in any situation. He has my attention now. How do you be content no matter what? Because that contentment is that moving target. Look back at verse 12. I know what it is to be brought low. I know how it is to, to abound. And any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, I have kind of lived a life that has brought the extremes. A lot of times we were thinking, okay, if I could, how many of you would pick life that was lived in the comfortable middle? Not really high lows. If you had your choice, and okay, in life, you can experience really, really high highs. But with that, it's going to come some really low lows. You're going to go this gamut from here all the way over here. So Kelly, I'm going to put you on the spot. You had that choice, or the other choice is, okay, instead of going from zero to ten, extreme lows, extreme highs, your whole life's going to be from four to six. Yeah. Don't we like predictability? I mean, if you just had to choose, you're going to miss out on sevens, eights, and nines, and tens in life, but you're also going to miss out on zeros and ones and twos and threes. I think a lot of us would probably say, you know, if it just meant the slow and steady and the easy and the comfortable middle, give me that life. Well, Paul is talking, because knowing that persuasion is, that's how most of us probably would answer. Paul says, look, I know what it is to have tens in my life, but I know what it's like to have zeros and ones in my life, too. And the important thing is that when he's writing this, he's not experiencing a 9 or a 10. He hasn't just preached a citywide crusade where, in Acts where it's thoughts where hundreds if not thousands would come to know Jesus Christ. He's not going, wow, that was a good night. That was a good day of church. All these people came to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now he's in prison. He's going to die. He's experienced a zero, a one, or a two, and yet he says, I've, I've learned to be content in that situation. See, most of the time we consider contentment not in, uh, you know, the, the relationship that we have with God. Most of the time that we talk about contentment, honestly, is when we get something or we get rid of something. When we get something, it's like, okay, if I just get this job, man, if I get that girl, you know, if we get that little baby, 
You know, if I get this, if I get it. So a lot of times in contentment, we kind of measure it by getting something. Oftentimes, we, we measure contentment by getting rid of something. If I can just get over this cold, just get over this flu or whatever it might be. If I can just get out of this job, maybe even that extreme, if I can just get out of that marriage, that somehow we think that contentment's going to come by either getting something or getting rid of something. And Paul never bases his level of contentment on getting something or getting rid of something. See, a lot of times we confuse that word contentment, which is really a matter of the soul. Please, please hear this with happiness, which is more a matter of the mind. There is a thing called happiness. And and we can even scientifically document that there's a lot of things that happen in the mind when we're happy. I don't even know all the technical terms, but doctors can tell you that all these things are firing off and there's certain things that it sends into your bloodstreams. And there's a physical reaction to happiness. There's actually something that happens in our body when we're happy. And yet contentment, guys, goes beyond just the mind and even the heart. It goes down to the very soul. It's something that, that is kind of, it's kind of like joy. But God says that you can have joy even when you're not in joyful conditions. Why? Because it's a matter of that, that spirit and soul that goes deeper than the mind. It affects the mind. It affects the heart. But it's deeper than it. It resides deep, deep down inside. We were talking in life group a couple of weeks ago about the peace that passes understanding. It's that kind of same kind of principle. And, and, and we went around the room and go, hey, have you ever experienced that, that peace that surpasses understanding that the Bible talks about? And people were saying, yeah. Hey, there was this time in my life that this was happening. There was no reason I should be at peace. And yet God gave me a peace in the midst of that. Folks, that's not a matter of cognitive thought. That's not synapses firing off in our head. That's not a matter of fooling the heart to think good when bad is happening. That's a matter of the spirit and the soul. So part of the secret is it's not just something that's always one plus one is going to equal two. It's going to be a little bit deeper than that. It's not something that we get. It's not something that we get rid of. It's not just getting rid of debt or bills. Even though I'll be the first one to tell you that if all of a sudden you took all the bills, all my bills, and and all of our debt, and you said, okay, I wipe it out. I'm going to be happy. There's going to be some things firing off in this brain. Whatever that thing that goes off into your bloodstream, I'm going to be full of it. Okay, I'm going to have it all over because I'm going to go, that makes me happy. Would it necessarily make me content? I think so, but I don't know for sure. Why? Because contentment is this elusive chicken. Man, I just thought if I got out of debt, I'd be happy. Yeah, I'm happy, but am I content? Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Because so oftentimes we confuse happiness and contentment. We use those interchangeably, and they're two different things. One a matter of the mind, the other a matter of the soul. And God ministers to your soul, to your very spirit. And that's why sometimes it's not going to always be that logical thing. That's why sometimes it's going to be a peace that surpasses understanding. Because if you just had understanding, you're going, you shouldn't be happy. And yet God's going to give you a peace and a joy in the midst of that. How does that happen? Well, look what it says in verse 13. Paul says, I've learned to have much. I've learned to have a little bit. And I balance it all on this. Here's my foundation. And here, guys, is the proper interpretation, not just because I'm saying it, 
But this is what Philippians 4.13 really means. It's the context that Paul was coming from. He wasn't saying, hey, I got a big test tomorrow. I can do all things through Christ's strength this week. Are you evil for saying that? No. Okay? If you're up to bat and it's, you know, two outs in the bottom of the night, full count, and you go, okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's not the context of this verse. Does it hurt? I'm not going to say that God's going, that's not the context. Okay? But Philippians 4.13 is not a wish. It's a truth. Man, I hope I pass this test. God, will you help me? Man, I prayed many, some of my most spiritual moments in life was in school, during tests. And sometimes I was praying for grace. God, give me knowledge of things I do not know. And other times it was, give me retention of that what I studied, but I've now, you know, kind of seems elusive. This, this verse is not a wish, guys. It's the truth, and Paul knew that truth. He knew that truth not because his life was a nine or a ten. He knew it when it was a zero and a one. He knew in really the the, the hardest maybe time of his life, he knew, okay, I know that I can find contentment even in these very hard circumstances. Why? Because I know Christ. I do believe with all my heart, and this, if you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, you, you don't know Christ, you're not a follower of Christ, you're, you're just kind of here, can you be content? There's a measure of contentment that I believe that you can have as, as somebody because of common grace. God has given a lot of common grace. But, but there is a, the contentment that Paul's talking about comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so please don't, I'm not trying to say, okay, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're just bad evil on this. No, I'm just saying there is something that comes with relationship with Christ. And one of the things besides salvation and the guarantee of our soul and, and our existence with God forever and ever, along with that in this life comes a level of contentment that can come. Why? Because God is showing us the intimacy that he's in control. He, he kind of brings us back to this sovereignty. I have learned to be content because I've learned that Jesus is enough. I don't know that we learned that at 12 or 13. That certainly is not disparaging to any 12 or 13 year olds. I don't know that we learned that at 20 or 30. And that's not to be disparaging to 20 or 30 year olds. I don't know that we really learn that in its fullness and when we're 50. I wonder sometimes if we really have to be where Paul was, facing his finality, knowing that his circumstances really were not going to change, that he found out that, you know, I kept on thinking it couldn't get any worse and it kept on getting worse and I didn't think it could get any worse and it kept on getting worse. And maybe when he found himself at that zero, not at one or two, but at zero, that he said, you know, Jesus is still enough at zero. Now, I may not be able to learn that in fullness until I'm facing my finality, but I can sure learn that principle, and I can start to learn that discipline in my life. Does that make sense? I think at 12 and 13, we can start to say, okay, Jesus is enough. Maybe that hasn't been tested. Maybe at 12 and 13, you haven't had a lot of zeros and ones. 
Maybe because of God's protection of you and good parents, you've had a whole bunch of fours and fives and eights and nines and tens and maybe even some elevens. And yet maybe that time comes in our lives, in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, or 50s, or 60s, wherever it comes in our lives, that we begin to experience some real zeros and some real ones and some real twos, and we find out this fabulous truth that Christ is enough. That he truly is enough. Enough for what? Enough to be content in even very discouraging circumstances. See, that's the secret. It wasn't a change in circumstances. It wasn't, okay, you got rid of this or you got this. His circumstance didn't change. Paul didn't say, you know, if I got out of prison and can go back to my old preaching ministry, that would be wonderful. No, he said, you know, if nothing changes, if I end up just having my head cut off, which I know is coming, and it ends up being tomorrow, I, I discovered this one truth. And it is satisfying to my soul. Jesus is enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. My intimacy and my relationship with Christ is enough. He is sufficient for anything that I will ever face in life. That's the truth. That's the secret. That's the mystery. That's the, let me get this, that's the meow. Okay? Remember that Greek word? Meow. That's the word that's interpreted right there. That's the secret. He said, this is what I've discovered. And I found that Christ is enough. Let me give you three practical applications of this. Then we'll close this morning. How can we, since it's a soul thing, a very spiritual thing, uh, first and foremost, it's, it's got to be centered on Christ. Okay, But there are some things that you and I can do in spiritual disciplines that help us actually kind of go in that direction of finding contentment. So let me give you the first one. Very practical. Learn to avoid comparisons. Comparison always has a winner and a loser. When you win in comparison, it's kind of a false win sometimes, isn't it? But when you lose in comparison, and I just wish I had that job. Well, I wish I had that boss. Well, I wish I had that husband. This has always been, I, I think mankind has always struggled with comparisons. I, mean, I think, as always, we can always trace that back to Genesis 3. I think that was part of the temptation of, of Satan in the garden. Hey, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be able to think the same things that God thinks. You're going to be able to experience the same thing that God experiences. And so Eve and Adam are there, and they're kind of like, that that sounds good. Because compared to God right now, he's way above me. But if I can know the things of God, we see this comparison kind of coming even into the original sin. Much of our uh, discontent, folks, comes from unhealthy uh, comparison. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every year to make you discontent. I mean, if I'm a marketer, that was my undergraduate, was marketing and management, my whole job would have been to make you discontent with what you have so that you come buy my product. Would you agree with that? And so, so you know, that's, that's just the nature of, okay, that's my job. 
You say, well, I already have a car. Yeah, but you don't have this car. I already have a house. Yeah, but you don't have this house. That's my job. If I'm a marketer, is to make you discontent with your present situation, to compare and contrast, and, and, and so that you go, okay, I'm kind of coming up on the losing end. There's a winner and a loser here, and man, until I get that house, I'm the loser. And social media, I, I, I think social media, media can be a great thing. I think there's a danger in social media and the Internet. Because now we can have 24-7 kind of contact with not just marketers whose purpose is to say, you need my product. But guys, we even, we even participate that in a little bit. If I'm showing you my Thanksgiving dinner, it's when everybody said cheese and was smiling. It's not when they were fighting over the cheese. I mean, which, which one are you going to post? Your crazy brother-in-law over in the corner, you know, doing this? Or when everybody kind of looked, and all of a sudden there's my point of comparison. Man, I just want to be, man, I want to be like you. Okay, I want to be, man, Tim, I want to be like you because here's this picture that you posted. And it's, man, that looks like perfection. In fact, I should have picked out Tim. Sorry, man. You posted these beautiful pictures. Where was that the other day? Yeah, and beautiful pictures. And I did an instant comparison in my mind. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to, but I'm going, man, I'm sitting here in Jefferson, Georgia. I <laughs> and then the rain came, but you didn't post those pictures. You see what I'm saying? Guys, please don't hear that this is evil. No, it's just not fair. I mean, it's just one of those things we don't really get a... And we're naturally comparing people. There's a winner and a loser. And sometimes when we think that this is really what everybody's life is like, it's not. I do enough counseling to let you know that's not how everybody's life is like. So the first thing is that we avoid comparisons. Let's call comparison what it really is. The Bible would call that envy. Okay, if we just really wanted a biblical word for it, that when we compare ourselves and we desire something that is attractive in somebody else, the Bible calls it envy. That sounds a little bit more sharp, doesn't it, Jeff? So it's just, well, I was just comparing. It's envy. Here's what, listen to what Proverbs, Proverbs is wise sayings. Okay, these are wise truths. Listen to what Proverbs says, Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. Well, tell us what you really think. I mean, that, that, is, is that not pretty accurate, though? That when we find ourselves in comparison, especially when we're the loser, because even if we win, we only win for a certain amount of time until the next comparison, and, and then we're going to lose. Eventually, we're going to lose. It says it rots the bones. So, so it's avoiding comparisons. I, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And uh, one time I'm sitting down with this couple. And they had been working on their grounds for divorce. I said, guys, will you do something this next week until we meet next week? Will you work on a list? You, you brought me a, a list of grounds for divorce. Will you, will you work on a list of grounds for marriage? And I wasn't being silly. I really wasn't trying to be funny or anything. I'm going, guys, it's not just a switch of mind. It's not just a different perspective. Work on grounds for marriage. You know, they came in the next week, and they said, well, we actually found out there's a lot of things. You know, this is not the perfect marriage. This is a really challenging marriage. But there's a lot of grounds for marriage. 
in our lives. It's not just trickery to the mind. It's finding out that it's not a change in circumstances sometimes we need. Sometimes it's just leaning on God. Say, God, will you give us the strength to become the husband that I need to be, that she can become the wife that will glorify you, that we can be this for our kids, that we can do these things. It's not just using different language. It's not just being silly. Yeah, guys, it truly is just you know, learning to, to put our mind back onto the, this hope of Christ. The second thing, really quick, is I just said that a lot of discontent comes with uh, changing things. And, and actually, you can learn a lot by learning to accept change. Look, look what Paul says in verse 12 again. I know what it is to be brought low, a zero or a one. I know what it is to abound, a nine or a ten. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, our hunger, abundance, or need. He said, I, this is a life that's changing. I've got some zeros and ones. I've got some fives and sixes. I've got some nines and tens. He said, my life seems to be kind of on a pattern of going from highs to lows in the middle, and I'm kind of sailing through. And part of learning God's contentment is to learn that... To, to accept change. Change is hard. Again, I think that most of us in the question before would say, hey, give me four to sixes. Because there's only two points difference there. That way, I, if I go to the left a little bit, I'm just a little bit. If I go to the right, just, there's not a lot of change. There's some security in knowing that the rest of your life would be fours and sixes, wouldn't it? Is there a lot of security in knowing that your life can go from zero to ten in a matter of a moment? tough question this morning. Has your life ever gone from a, a 9 or a 10 to a 0 or 1 in a matter of a minute? The loss of a loved one. The hurt is so deep. See, that's the hard thing about life. If we just want this comfortable middle, guys, if we want four through six, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of vulnerability there. But knowing that life really does exist of ones and twos and, and nines and tens, and that in a moment's notice we can go from ten to one, that's scary. Unless you have a foundation. Unless you know that, hey... Whether I have a 10 and I can sing out to God as we did this morning, praise you, God, for, for, for all this goodness, or if I'm getting a zero or a one, God, you're sufficient. You're enough for me. That's Paul's security there. See, see, life is involved in three different aspects. There's those things that I can control and I do control. That's called maturity. That's called responsibility. There's the things that I can control, but I don't. That's called immaturity or irresponsibility. I choose not to control the things that I have the ability to control. But there's a third part of life's circumstances, and that's that you have no power to control. And the older we get, the more we find out that there's a whole bunch of things that come down on number three, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of number ones. I have the ability to control it. I can get up in the morning and go to work. And so I choose to go to work. That's the responsible thing. I can get up in the morning and say, no, one more day sleeping in, extending to Thanksgiving. I'm not going to go to work. That could be irresponsible. Everybody can relate to it, but that could be irresponsible. 
Or you could wake up in the morning and found that, find that, uh, that you've been let go. You don't have a job to go to. You had no control over that. You didn't have a vote in it. And the older we get, we find out that if we're just basing our contentment on our ability to control all these things and keeping our lives between four and six, it doesn't happen that way. There's just a whole bunch of nines and tens that come. There's a whole bunch of zeros and ones that come. And so learning to accept those and trusting Christ. Here's the last thing. It all comes down to that. Learn to trust God intimately. Easy to say. Easy to, to have a cognitive thought. I just want to trust God. Much easier to do in life when you're having eights, nines, and tens. Really hard to do when you're having zeros and ones and twos. Or as we have said many times, when our children are having zeros, ones, and twos. Give me a zero, one, or two any day over my children. But here's the thing. One of the greatest lessons, parents, that your children will ever learn of you. They're going to learn finances. They're going to learn how to do marriage. They're going to learn how to do all these different things. Here's the thing. In life's zeros and ones and nines and tens, one of the things your children are going to do is Christ enough. And when they see mama and daddy coming when zeros and ones come along the way, and they see not a perfection but a contentment, and they find out that Jesus is enough in zeros and ones and twos of life, when they start having real zeros and ones and twos in their life, they're going to go, you know, Jesus is enough. Where did you learn that? I learned that from mom and dad. Not because our lives were perfect, because our, sometimes their life was really hard. And I saw a faith in my, my mom, or I saw a faith in my dad. How many of you saw that kind of faith in your grandparents? And you had that blessing and said, man, granddaddy, See, because then we get the perspective of our whole life. If you're in here and you're 20 and 21, I don't mean this in a bad way. Yeah, I'm 21 years old. and Life has been tough. and I, You know, there's a part of me that wants to go, you don't know nothing. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying that you can't have some really zeros and ones and twos before you're 20. It doesn't come with age. I'm just going, it's kind of hard, you know. It's like the, the little girl that's six years old and goes, I've had a tough life. I've only been to Disney World once. You know, it's not a, a factor of age, but sometimes when we look at our grandparents, we are able to look at their lives over a long period of time and we were able to see that they really did experience some zeros and ones. And we go and go, man, look at the faith that they had even when life was at one or two. That, that's the point. It's, it's not to be disparaging to, to young folks here. Not to say that you can't have hard times. But it's that perspective of life. And that's where Paul was. Hey, Paul's older. He's about to die. He, he's at a zero or a one. And he says, you know, Christ is enough. Let me end with this passage. Pastor, is it, is it okay when life really gets tough for us? To, you know, I, I know you said that our contentment can't be based on something going away, getting something or something going away. Can, can we at least pray that it goes away if it's a bad thing? Sure you can. Paul did. 
He, had a, what he called a thorn inside. We still don't know what it was, but it was a trouble in his life that was very, very challenging to Paul. And he said, I pleaded with God three times. He didn't say I prayed about it in my morning prayers. I had a devotion one time, and I kind of listed it as something I want to get rid of. No, he said, I pleaded with God to remove this thorn from my life. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He said, Here's what he's saying to use my verbiage from. Is this offensive? If I use my verbiage instead of God's? Let me translate it, though, into our terminology of the day. When he says, My grace is sufficient for you, to, to use the terminology that I've shared with you this morning. God was telling Paul, hey, you're going to find out that my grace is sufficient when your life is at zero and one and two. In fact, you're going to find out that I'm more than enough when you're at zero, one, and two. When you're at nine and ten, man, you have enough things firing off in your head that you may confuse happiness with contentment. But at one and two, you're going to find out that there's still a contentment that you can have because Christ is enough. Therefore, I will boast. This is what Paul's response when God says, My grace is sufficient you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ is enough. And that's the challenge I'm still facing in my life. If you're still challenged with that Christ is enough, join with me. (laughs) But just know this truth. No matter if you're in the midst of a zero or one or a two right now, there's an intimacy, the secret that Paul called it, this meow. It's knowing that Christ is sufficient. It doesn't get more complicated than that. And yet, it's in, in its simplicity, it's, that's pretty profound. So here's my prayer for you. For those that are in nines and tens right now, enjoy the ride. No, really, enjoy the ride. Why would, why, why, why would we not enjoy a nine or a ten when it's going on in our life? Man, we've got contentment in the soul and we got things firing off in our head that's sending all kinds of little things through our bloodstream going this is a fun time why would you not enjoy that but for those that are at a 4-6 right now you're going I just hope that it stays this way then understand that life is going to change and you're going to be tested but that testing isn't always bad if you're at a 0 or a 1 right now please know the sufficiency of Christ it may not be that you have to have a change in circumstances. It may not that you have to get something or get rid of something. It may be that God will keep you right there for a while and that you'll find the sweetest form of relationship in him that he's sufficient there in the barrenness of that valley. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I pray that we have communicated your truth this morning. Father, that we've done justice to uh, try to relate these great truths, your great word, in a way that we can understand and relate. Father, I pray that we would be able to grasp that that this is a secret, not because you're hiding things, 
but because it's a mystery until we get the answer that is all found in our relationship with you. And Father, that sounds so spiritual because it is spiritual, Father. It's, it's not found in mechanical things. Father, it's found in our relationship with you. So, Father, thank you that, that you are sufficient. Thank you for the testimonies of grandmas and granddads that were at zeros and ones in their life, and they said, I have found my God faithful. Thank you for families who have tragedies with their children and that vulnerable part of being at a zero one, not because they were at a zero one, but because their kids were, and yet they were able to say, I have been there and I've watched my kids in this, in this challenging times, and God, you are sufficient. God, you are faithful. Father, thank you that uh, through Christ this is possible. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't a hope. This isn't a wish. This is a truth that we can have because you've made it true. We love you and we thank you, Father. Help us to be people that have found contentment in Christ Jesus. As we pray in his powerful name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.